Julia, you're going to come and do our reading this morning. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I really pray this morning that you will give Julia all she needs to read this scripture, Lord. A clear heart, a clear voice, and a clear mind, Lord. Father, let these words that Julia reads not just be mere words, Lord. Let these words be things that speak to our hearts, speak to our ears, and speak to our minds, Lord. May your holy scriptures, Lord, change lives this morning upon hearing of the word. Amen. So the word this morning is from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Amen. Well, Psalm 126. It's very easily identifiable. It is between Psalm 125 and Psalm 127, if you need to know where that is. Um, and it's in a little collection of Psalms between 120 and 134. And if you open up your Bibles right now, good. Um, you can read along with it, because I'm going to go through verse by verse. Now these songs, or psalms, all have a little title to them, and it's a song of ascents. Ascents, as in going up. So from the Psalm 120 to the Psalm 134, they are all entitled A Song of Ascent. Some of them are A Song of Ascent of David, which means they're of David, from David, around that Davidic time. Others are just A Song of Ascent. So what on earth is A Song of Ascent? Well, A Song of Ascent is a song that was used for a very specific reason. Now, who knows what a pilgrimage is? Anyone know what a pilgrimage is? A pilgrimage, yeah, it's where you go on a journey to reach a specific place at a specific time. Not a pilgrimage to the shop to get some chocolate every night. That's not a pilgrimage. It's a holy pilgrimage. Now, Jerusalem in the Holy Land is in a mountain range, okay? It is quite high up, this city of Jerusalem. And Jewish people of the time had to travel to Jerusalem, I think it was three times in a year, for various festivals. So even in the New Testament, we see Jesus coming along at different festivals, times, the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Passover. People would come to Jerusalem, they'd pilgrimage from where they were in the Holy Land or anywhere, really, if they were, you know, Jewish, if they were from Judah, Israel, and they believed in God, Yahweh, they would travel from wherever they were 
to Jerusalem to be all together in the holy city. Now, to get to Jerusalem, you have to go up. It doesn't matter where you come from, it's, on the mid it's in the middle of a mountain range. You can't get there unless you go up. So these songs of ascents were for the pilgrims to sing. That's what the purpose of these songs were. So when you're on your pilgrimage and you're climbing up the mountains, you're going up these mountain roads and you're slowly winding your way up to Jerusalem, you are singing these songs, this collection of songs. And I'll get to why you do that a bit later on. But what I want you to realise is that Jerusalem is a city in our world, right? Now, what you might not know about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem is also a city in heaven. It's in a different realm, okay? It's the only city in the world that exists on two planes. So if you go to the spiritual world, you won't find wording. It's just not there. But if you go to the spiritual realm, the heavenly realms, you will find Jerusalem existing there and in the world. It's an ever-present city of light. It's God's dwelling place. So it exists in the heavenly realm and it exists in the earthly realm. And to get there, you have to go up in both senses. So what they would do is they would walk these huge pilgrimages. And if you've ever heard, there's a hymn that we used to sing at school, um, To Be a Pilgrim. To be a pilgrim. You listen, to, you look, watch the, look at the words to that song, and it is filled with horrors. It's like these trials and tribulations that you have to go through just to get to where you're going. You know, it says you have to be valiant to be a pilgrim. Well, why do you have to be valiant? What does valiant mean? It means brave and courageous against fighting all odds. If you've ever read any of Pilgrim's Progress by Mr. Bunyan, the classic that no one ever reads anymore, you will find in there a whole manner of stuff hitting the fan as this man journeys towards the, his, the end goal of his pilgrimage. So much pain and despair and disaster befall him, but still he valiantly struggles on with the hope of reaching his end goal, which of course for him is to meet God. So these songs are there to encourage us. Now the first verse, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Now this is a very special little song of a sense because we can date this one. We can give you a rough estimation of when this psalm was written. We can do that because it's referencing a certain event in the biblical timeline. A lot of these other ones are just really general. So they're not really specific on a date. But this one, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. On, in my book, in the NIV, it says, Lord restored the fortunes of. But then there's a little thing that says exactly what it says there. Or, return the captives. That's more helpful. 
for us because that dates it to after the exile. You know, when the Babylonians came down, they swept down and they took hundreds and thousands of people away with them back to Babylonia and their empire and they split them all up. So what the Babylonians did, the trick that they did to gain control over people is you take over their country and then you remove an amount of people from that country and you put them somewhere else. What you don't do is you move all the Jews from one country and you go and stick them in another country over there altogether. You do that, you're cruising for a bruising because they all speak the same language, they all have the same cultural identity and they can speak to each other and then they can plot and they can revolt and they can seek revenge on the people that put them there. But you split them up and put them next to people that live thousands and thousands of miles away, speak a different language, have a different culture, have a different religion, then they're going to be quite docile and they're not going to revolt as much because they don't know who their next, next door neighbour is. They certainly couldn't plot a rebellion with them. So that everyone from Israel was split up all over this like, massive empire of Babylonia. And this psalm talks of when the captives were brought back. So when they were allowed to come back, you may remember there's a, a King Cyrus signed this decree that said you can all go back to your homes. And King Artaxerxes, who sent Nehemiah back to build the walls, you remember that? He said, go back, build the walls of your hometown. And he went back and he built them and people started coming back. Well, that's what this is talking about. So this is a period after the events of the exile. So this is when the people came back and they had enough time to realise what had happened to them and realise that that particular part was over. So they're looking at something that God did, a miraculous event that God did. So the first verse is God doing something amazing when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion. Zion being... Jerusalem. We were like men who dreamed. We could never imagine that this would happen. They were like men who dreamed. The second verse. Have you got that one, Nate? Save me, or Ben. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So the mood that these people had, our mouths were Filled with laughter. Now, laughter is an incredible thing. Laughter can change your mood in a second. You can be utterly and thoroughly depressed, and then something nails you, and you are lifted out of that gloom in an instant. And a lot of the time, you don't get to choose what you laugh about either. It just happens. It's a gut response. Our tongues with songs of joy... So these were people that were singing about the joy of the first verse. Get that? So they're happy that God did this thing in the past. And then it was said among the nations. So this is all the other nations around that period and that time. The Lord has done great things for them. So these nations are noticing 
how this little group of people, this tribe of Judah, this tribe of Israel, he's, they're noticing that these seem to be blessed people. No matter what seems to happen to them, they always seem to come out of it all right. And they're noticing that. I mean, civilizations in those, in those times, you could be a, a race of people that could be wiped off the face of the planet of the Earth in a couple of weeks. We're not talking millions and millions of people in hundreds of cities. We're talking about isolated pockets of men and women across the world. If someone like Alexander the Great wanted to wipe out a civilization, it wouldn't actually take that much to do. This is not millions of people. This is maybe thousands or hundreds of thousands, and it's, it's relatively easy to do. So for these nations to notice that this small group of people in this specific place are blessed and always seem to come out smelling of roses is quite a testimony for them. So we need to be mindful of that, that, that even the people that don't believe in God are noticing that this Yahweh chap... God is doing incredible things with this group of people. Their attention is sparked. Verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So, they're drawing on the first couple of verses, and they're saying, yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us, and we are filled with joy. Not happiness. Joy. Because joy is so much more than happiness. I can be happy that I've got a box of chocolates, but I can feel the joy and the love of God knowing that Jesus died for me. That's joy. That's the difference. Chocolate makes me happy. Being with Jesus gives me joy, and that joy is eternal and doesn't depend on my mood for me to know that it's true. I can be utterly and thoroughly depressed, but I still have joy in my heart. Okay, the next verse. We have a bit of a change of tact. So we're no longer looking at the past. We are looking at the present now. That word, restore. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Gev. So this is a present thing. This is something they're singing on the road because they are presently suffering and want a restoration. They want to be refreshed. Like the streams in the Negev. Now, if you never know where the Negev is, right, the Negev is, you've got Jerusalem up here, right, you've got Babylonia and all that stuff up there, and you've got the plains down there with the sea there. The Negev is down here. It's pretty much where they were wandering around in the wilderness. And it's quite a large... It's a depression, literally a depression. You get stuck in it, it's really depressing. It's a, it's a really horrible, dry crater of a desert, surrounded by mountains and uneven land. You can't really even break the surface of the ground. It's so hard, there's no life there. You've got maybe one or two types of trees that really grow in that area, but they're not really going to give you anything, because they're probably poisonous. So they're pretty pointless to you. So it's a hard place. It's one of the hottest regions in the whole of the Holy Land. 
The further up you go, the more kind of cool and temperate you get. The further down you get towards Africa, the hotter it gets. So we're dealing with like 100 degree heat as a matter of course in this place. And they have these things called wadis, all right? A wadi is a dried up riverbed. Now you have two seasons in Israel. You have dry season and you have wet season. There's no winter, autumn, dry, wet. That is your lot. In the dry season, you do not want to be in the Negev because you're going to die unless you really know what you're doing. In the rainy season, these dried riverbeds, all of a sudden, all the water comes flooding down the mountains, in through gorges and comes out and fills up these riverbeds. And all of a sudden, the Negev takes on an altogether more green luster. Because all of a sudden, all the seeds that have lain dormant have been blown in and are just sitting there on the surface, all of a sudden, they become wet and they start to germinate. And all of a sudden, you just think, yes, look at this new life appearing. It's just bursting out of the ground. You think, wow, this is a wonderful place to live. But of course, they can't break the surface. And so, it dies. So nothing actually grows there, but for a very short period of time. So you could be fooled into thinking that this growth will last forever, but it won't. Because as soon as the water disappears and gets into dry season, that's it, it's game over. Nothing will actually grow there properly. But they, they want to be able to restore all fortunes like the streams of Negev, that means they want instant, instant rest restoration. Not like, oh, restore our... Restore our fortunes, O oh Lord, just over a period of time so we can gradually get there. No! Bang! We want instant restoration, Lord. Like the streams of Negev, when the water comes in and the plants go, boop, that's what we want. We want new life in the desert, and we want it now. Next verse. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Well, I said about joy, what joy is earlier. You can be thoroughly depressed. You can be having an incredibly bad time, but you can still feel the joy of the Lord in your heart. So to go out and sow in tears, to go out and sow in worry, to go out and speak to people, that's what the sowing is really talking about. To go out and have a connection with people, to speak to people about the things of God, to trust in God when you're feeling desperately down or you're ill, you will reap songs of joy. You see this farming language? These were agrarian people. These were people, these were farmers. You want to reach these people, you speak farming. That's what Jesus did. You want to reach these people, you keep it simple, you keep it appropriate to them. It's farming language. You go out and you sow seeds with a broken heart and you will reap songs of joy. Next verse. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So you go out feeling awful, but you do the Lord's work. You will 
get a harvest. You will have everything you need. He will give you that food, that spiritual food. He may even give you actual food. In church, a lot of the time, when certainly Laura and I first joined, uh, money was quite tight, and people would just pop money through the door. Just a little note. Um, God said that this might help put tenor through the door. Well, they turn up with meals. Mary was especially good at doing that. Mary Matthews, who's sadly no longer with us, would turn up with this whole meal for the family. I'm just like, here you go, God said this. Every single time someone did that, it was always exactly the time it was needed. Exactly, down to the second. What on earth are we going to eat today? We haven't got any money. Have a look in the cupboard. Ding dong! I bought you this. Needed to pay a bill. Some money comes through the door. That's getting a harvest. Trusting God. Not trying to explain how God's going to do it, because you won't be able to do that. You can't explain how God's going to do it. You have to trust and know that he will. You do that, you go out weeping, and you carry that knowledge that God will get you through, and you will be blessed with a harvest. He will give you what you need. So this psalm is in two parts. We have the first part, where the first three verses are all about, Lord, you've done amazing things for us in the past. The next three verses are, Lord, do them now, we need them. Now, when you're on a pilgrimage, and you're sweating, your feet are blistered, you are absolutely exhausted. It's taken you perhaps two months to walk from your home to Jerusalem. And as you approach that final ascent, you are never going to need to sing a song more than these songs in your life. These are not songs that, oh, let's all have a sing-song. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. This is not that. These are songs where you are literally, oh, I can't do it anymore. Oh, he who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, la, 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 la. That's when you need a little bit of joy. That's when you need to draw on the things that God has done for you in the past and draw on the fact that he will do them again in your future and your present. That's what these songs are all about. You read them, and it is all about, God, you've done this. Please do it again. Because when you're out there, and you're up against it, and the world is against you, and you are being oppressed, you are exhausted, you are sick, you are in mental fatigue, nothing is going right for you. The world becomes a gloomy hole. The best thing that you can do 
is to remember what God has done for you in the past. That's your testimony. You want to know why testimonies are so powerful? Because that is saying, God has done this for me. No one can take that away. You can argue with non-Christians. You can argue with atheists all you want about theology and what God does. But the one thing that they cannot argue against you is your testimony. They can't do it. Your testimony of what God has done to you and with you and for you in the past is irrefutable. They can't take that away from you. Because you know it to be true. They weren't there. They can't argue. So clinging on when the world is against you by remembering what God has done for you in the past. And the fact that you're sitting here this morning is testament to the fact that God has done something in your past. Even if it is just going back and revisiting that time when you gave your life to him. That's what this song is about. When you go out in tears, so knowing that the Lord will provide a harvest. There is nothing wrong with revisiting your testimony and asking God to do even more great things in your life. A lot of the things that Christians do is they become Christians, they have this marvellous experience, and then they sit there and go, all done! It's all going to be wonderful from now on. And then they realise that life just doesn't work like that. And I, would, I don't know the exact percentages, but I'd imagine a fair amount of people, unless they're surrounded by good church, good teaching, and other Christians, could quite easily go, well, I tried that Christian malarkey out. And you know what? When, the, when it hit the fan, what's the point? No one did anything for me, so I'm done with that, and I'm going to go and try Buddhism. Or I'm going to try something else. Well, it doesn't work like that. Because this psalm tells us, when we're in trouble, and no one else can help, don't look to the A-team. Look to what God has already done in your life. Use that. Well, he was faithful then. And God never changes, right? These are the conversations you have to have in your head. God never changes, right? It is impossible, it is impossible for God to change who he is. He just can't do it. He cannot lie and he cannot change. He is the essence of goodness. He is the source of all goodness. He cannot and he will not change. So if he's done a good thing for you in your life then, he will do a good thing in your life now, and he will do a good thing in your life in the future. I mean, let's face it. We're all hanging on to heaven, right? The nuts and bolts of our faith comes down to the point, we don't know what's going to happen to us when we die, but we're going to have faith that what God said is going to be true, and we will get eternal life, right? That's the nuts and bolts of it, isn't it? 
So our future is secure, right? If we believe what God said, and that we will have eternal life with him in heaven and the new earth, if we believe that, the future's sorted, right? The end game's done. We're all right. Present, where we live now. That's the difficult bit. Because we don't know what the future will hold, but we do it right at the end. But we don't know what trouble's going to be tomorrow. The past we've had time to digest and think about, right? So we can discern a lot from that. And if we keep our eyes on God in the past and say, well, he did that. That experience, and I've had it myself in, uh, lots of times. Um, remember, I, we, were, we were really up against it. We were, I just started college and we had no money. Um, we were losing benefits and I didn't have a job, Laura didn't have a job, and I'd started college and we were basically, our funds got wiped out. They said, right, well, you're starting college, so you must be well, so you must be fine, so no more money for you. Oh, good. That's handy. That's going to pay the rent. And Chris and Aileen, our dear friends, came over and we told them the situation. And we stood, didn't we? Remember that? We stood in the front room and we prayed. In a little circle, we prayed. Next day, day late, two days, Laura was offered a job at a pharmacy that Sophie had been working at during the summer. Got talking with the guy behind the till and he said, oh, I'm looking to hiring someone. And she was working within the week. God provided. And when I'm up against it, I remember stuff like that that happened in the past when I couldn't see any way out. How on earth is he going to do that? I mean, what's he going to do, arrive with a big bag of money? I couldn't figure it out. And so we prayed. But we knew that God was good. And we gave it to God, and he provided. That's not an isolated case. I bet if I asked any of you, you could probably come up with an even more amazing account of when God was faithful to you in the past. Well, hold on to that. Now, I'm going to read the Scriptures again. And what you've learned, I want you to listen for in the Scriptures. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. You see, life is a pilgrimage. You don't have to travel to Israel and follow the path that Jesus took in his ministry to accomplish a pilgrimage. You don't have to go to Mecca, not the bingo place, the other one. Life is the ultimate pilgrimage. It is a moving forward. And you are moving forward, are you not, to a place of holiness? So what you do right now is part of your pilgrimage 
to the ultimate holy place of heaven. The spiritual realm Jerusalem. That's where you're headed. So whatever you do, you may think you're not moving forward, but your life is a pilgrimage. And these songs, these songs of ascent, remember Psalms 120 to 134, they're quite small, and they can help you on that pilgrimage because they force you to look back and remember and bring that blessing from the past into the present to take with you into the future. That is the point of not just these Psalms, but all of Scripture. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray right now. Lord, help us, Lord, to remember what you have done for each and every one of us. Help us to hold on to that in the storm, Lord, so that the wind does not carry away those memories. Help us to drag the past glory of you into the present, Lord. And help us to march forward in our pilgrimage through life to heaven with those scriptures, that knowledge, that shield with us at all times. Amen.